to the podcast, guys. This is season two, episode one, the first episode of season two, and boy, am I excited to get this out. We have an incredible guest today, um, and I, I really am not even going to introduce I'm going to let him introduce himself, um, but man, we are so thankful um, for all of you who are listening um, and just the guests who are willing to come on here and talk about uh, important topics such as today. Um, but without further ado, um, I introduce Dr. Gary Chapman. Uh, Dr. Chapman, thank you so much for being willing to come and sit down with me and talk talk about all the things we're going to talk about today. Well, thank you, Colby. It's great to be with you. Uh, you know, I have invested my life in uh, marriage and family counseling. Yes, sir. And uh, written a few books along the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited to talk with you today. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into the questions. Where are you from? All of those things. Your wife, family. All of it. I grew up in a little town called China Grove, not the one the Doobie Brothers sang about, <laughs> but it was named for the Chinaberry tree. <laughs> and a little town of 2000, grew up there, and then 17 years of age, went off to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, mm. and from there to Wheaton College, and from Wheaton College to Southeastern Seminary one year, and then uh, Southwestern Seminary for four years, and Later did a master's degree in anthropology at Wake Forest, uh, so I uh, spent half of my life in, in school. <laughs> my dad would say every time I got a degree, now son, you're going to get a job now, right? <laughs> <laughs> From degree to degree. It's not necessarily a bad thing, though. It, it, no. I mean, school's it, great. <laughs> it's all. God uses all of it. That's awesome. But uh, my wife and I both grew up in the same town, the same church, and uh, uh, got married uh, way back, a long time ago, and uh, we have two children, uh, Shelly and uh, Derek, and uh, Shelly is a medical doctor, delivers high-risk babies, oh, Wow! and uh, she and her husband have our two grandchildren, hmm. and uh, my son and his wife live in Austin, Texas, and they have lived all over the world, hmm. uh, spent four years in Prague, and, wow. then, and two years in Antwerp, Belgium. And, wow. Uh, so... They, uh, they have a ministry to the arts community. They're mm. both very artistic, and uh, they can't have children, but they have a lot of adopted children. That's not, awesome. not officially adopted, right. just taking care of yeah. other people's kids. So, yeah, so that's our, that's our little family. Praise God for that. Yeah. And what brought you to Winston-Salem from China Grove and a small town like that? I uh, came here actually uh, to teach at uh, what was then called Piedmont Bible College, mm. and I taught there for three years. Okay. And... Uh, so that's what brought us here. I had applied to 27 colleges, and that was the one that opened up. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. And did that ultimately lead you to the church that you've been at a, a lot of your adult life, which is Calvary, Calvary Baptist? Uh, yes. Uh, Mark Quartz was the pastor here uh, at that time. He was pastor here for 39 years. Uh, and uh, he and I met once at a theater where they had shown a Billy Graham film. And afterwards, he, he said, I've heard about you. And I said, well, I've heard about you. <laughs> he said, well, we're, we're looking for a staff member that would come and direct our adult education program and start a college ministry. And uh, he said, I'd like for you to pray about it. I said, oh, okay, I'll pray about it. <laughs> so it was three months before I heard anything from him. Yeah. <laughs> but we got together for lunch, and by that time, uh, I just sensed, you know, this is this is what God wants me to do. I love college students, and I can do college students and not mess with all the exams and all yeah. that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and my uh, my doctorate was in adult education, really, and so that that was a real good fit. I never thought I'd be here for 50 years, you know, <laughs> but uh, that's the way it worked out. Yes, sir. Uh, and I was with him 30 of those okay. years, and then I served as interim pastor mm -hmm. twice. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, so it's been a great journey. And uh, you know, I retired officially uh, July a year ago, but they let me keep my office <laughs> and they let me keep my assistant. That's so great. I'm here every day, still That's working. Awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, I know the people around here love love seeing you. Um, so, getting into kind of our questions today, you have written. Um, so many books. I'm actually reading a book right now, your book about um, things I wish I would have known before I got married. Um, and I've very much enjoyed that book so far, hearing your story about marriage. Um, but one of your most famous books, uh, which is The Five Love Languages. So before we get into that book, tell us a little bit about how you got started in your in your writing. And yeah, basically writing your books and yeah. all that. Well, really, all of my writing has grown out of my ministry. Uh, the first book I wrote, uh, the title was uh, A Marriage You've Always Wanted. And that grew out of the fact that for several years I had been teaching a college class here on Sunday mornings at the church. And I would take three months every year and teach preparation for marriage. Because mm. I figured if you're going to get married someday, you better learn something now. You know? <laughs> yes, sir. And so that book grew out of that ministry. Uh, we have a new title for that now. We've revised it several times, but it's called uh, The Marriage You've Always Wanted. Mm. And then the second book grew out of the single adult ministry because after 10 years with the college ministry, Mark asked if I would start a singles ministry for people who are out of college. And it turned out that a lot of those people were single again. <laughs> they were separated. Yeah. And you know, in North Carolina, you have to be separated a year before you can get a divorce, which right. is a great law because right. now you get to think about this thing. And so that book was called Hope for the Separated, Wounded Marriages Can Be Healed. Mm. And uh, the new title for that one is uh, One More Try, What mm. to Do When Your Marriage is Falling Apart. Mm. My third book was The Five Love Languages. Okay. And that one grew out of my counseling ministry gotcha. because they would sit in my office over and over again, and one of them would say, I just don't feel any love coming from them. It's yeah. like we're roommates, you know. <laughs> and the other one would say, I don't get it. You know, I do this and this and this and this and this. I don't know why they wouldn't feel loved, mm. you know. And I knew people were sincere, but they were missing each other, you know. The, the guy, would he was doing all this stuff for her, you know, and he loved her, but she didn't feel loved. And I remember the wife who said, Dr. Chapman, that's right, he's a hard-working man, he does all that stuff. She said, but we don't ever talk. Mm -hmm. We hadn't talked in 20 years, she said. We just, he's, he, you know, he's always doing something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I heard that story so many times in my office that I knew there was a pattern but I need to know what it was. Mm. So eventually I took time to read several years of notes that I made and uh, asked myself the question, when someone said, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what, what did they want? Mm. And uh, the answer, it fell into five categories. So wow. that's, that's how I came up with the five love languages. That is so <laughs> powerful. I, and what's crazy too is so many people far and wide around the globe, that book has gone global, um, so many people Hear the five love languages. Before I met uh, Grace, who's sitting here with us today as well, they she spent a summer out in Colorado, and one of the things they did at the beginning of the summer was learning each other's love languages so that they could, as counselors, be able to love each other um, and care for each other in that way. Yeah. And this was before I had even met her. Um, so the, the the way God works of her now sitting in here, being able to, you know, meet you and have read your book is just. God is an amazing God who does all of those, all of those things. And um, but no, I've I've loved the book that I've read. I've read the Five Love Languages as well. But the book I'm reading now to kind of prepare me for, um, you know, marriage to come. Whenever God has that, yeah. learning to be content in the here and now 
Um, but like you kind of said, being proactive instead of reactive so you can learn now instead of uh, the learning process starting when you get married, yeah. um, which is, is very important as well. So the five languages, excuse me, like I said, um, what was your kind of vision when you first started writing that? Did you see it going as big as as it is now, the way the Lord has just blessed that book? No way. <laughs> <laughs> I did know they would help people mm. because I had, once I discovered it, I'd probably been using it for five years in my counseling with couples, and I'd seen it really change marriages. Mm. And uh, I had the thought, you know, if I could put this concept in a book and write it in the language of a common person, leave out psychological jargon that yeah. people wouldn't understand, mm. maybe I could help a lot of couples that I would never have time to see in my office. Mm. So that's what motivated me. I knew it would. I knew it worked, as it right. You know. But I never ever anticipated what would happen. And, you know, it's been out. This is the thirtieth anniversary. Wow, I thirty not years, know that. and every year it sells more than the year before. Wow. That doesn't happen to books over that long. Right. Long. And uh, it's now uh, translated and published in, I think they told me, 57 languages around the world. Praise God. It's sold over 20 million copies. It, it, you know, people ask me, how do I explain that? I say, well, the short answer is God. Amen. And the long answer is God. Amen. <laughs> That's all I know. Amen. Uh, but no, I never could have dreamed that uh, God would use that book the way he has. And, of course, you know, there's other derivatives of that, five love languages of children and right. teenagers and special military edition yes. and one for blended families and all of that. Uh, it just continues to grow. Yeah. In fact, I'm working on a book right now on how, how this applies with adopted children. Oh, wow. And uh, so, you know, it's just a God thing. Mm. And uh, But I'm so grateful, and it's been so encouraging to see how God has used it to help so many people. Amen. That's phenomenal. I, I think that... What's been so cool is that you've always had a passion for writing, but that book was almost like your stepping stone to be able to continue to write, like you said, the five love languages for military families, for blended families. Um, it's just so great to see how the Lord has been able to bless that. Um, but, but praise God for that. So obviously, um, here at the Equipped Podcast, one of our uh, focuses is mental health. Um, mental health has been something that I uh, have struggled with for, for years, and um I thought it would be a very unique opportunity to be able to sit down with you and talk a little bit about mental health. And so the two questions I have are pretty simple, and they're kind of a, um, a flip question, so you can, well, I'll ask the first one first. But transitioning to the mental health side of things, what would you say to someone who um, is maybe in a relationship or in a marriage that they're struggling to love their partner because they struggle with their own mental health? Well, you know, mental health is a broad term that covers a whole lot of difficulties, right. uh, you know, mentally. Some much more severe than others, of course. But I think the first thing for a person that's struggling with any kind of mental health is to acknowledge that you are struggling with mental mm -hmm. health. Amen. Because you can, you know, kind of push the thought aside and say, well, I'll be better next week or whatever, you know, and it doesn't get better next week. So I think, uh, first of all, uh, you have to acknowledge where you are, mm. and the second step is reach out for help. Mm. And uh, that would typically be, you know, talking to a, a pastor maybe first, and then a counselor, you know, depending on what the, right. the mental health situation is. But uh, I think uh, you don't just sit there and sit in the midst of that. You reach out for help, and mm. there is help available. Right. 
And, of course, as Christians, we have not only help on the human level, we have divine help. Amen. You know, and that, that has a tremendous impact on, on mental illness as well. Amen. So I think taking that action, but in the meantime, if you're married uh, and, and, you you know, you know you, I'm supposed to be loving my spouse, but I don't, I don't even love myself. Yes. How can I do that? You know, yes. Jesus said, Love them like you love yourself. Well, they're not going to get much, you know. <laughs> yes, so I, I think you uh, you recognize that that loving a spouse, uh, really the heart of it is not feeling love for them. Mm. The heart of it is an attitude. And love is the attitude that says, I want to enrich the other person's life. Amen. So even with certain, most, a lot of mental health situations, you can still choose an attitude of love. You know, I want to enrich my spouse. And you can ask them questions, you know. Uh, you know I'm struggling, and I know I'm down a lot of times, but what could I do that would be meaningful to you, yeah. that would enrich your life? And, and even, with, even with while you're struggling with the mental health issues that you have, you can still, with that attitude, reach out and do some of right. those things, whatever it is they're asking for. Yeah. And typically they're going to be asking for something that's in keeping with their love language. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if if acts of service is their love language, they'll probably be asking you, well, I, I know you're struggling, but if you could just vacuum the, the, the floors, you know, that would right. be really meaningful. Right. Okay, well, even with mental health issues, at least many of them, you'd still vacuum floors. Right, you know? right. <laughs> so uh, I think that would be the would be the point. Don't, don't focus on where you are, but focus on what steps can I take to get to another place. Amen. And in the meantime... As I said, taking that attitude of love and asking your spouse, what could I do that would be meaningful to you? I love that point you said of making the intentional choice to choose the attitude of love is so important because I think to, in today's generation and culture, especially with my generation, so many people get wrapped up in the, the whole mindset that love is a feeling. Yeah. Um, and when love is a feeling and that feeling fades, something must be wrong. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's so important that every day you wake up to be intentional about choosing the attitude of love with the person that you're with. Yeah. And I think being able to love them, like you said, learning their love language and being able to love them in, in that effective way to where even if you're struggling, you know the step you need to take to be able to love them in an effective way so that they feel love. Yeah, so and I important. think that's why the love language concept can be very, very helpful to a mm -hmm. person who has who's struggling with mental illness of any kind. Yeah. And to know that, uh, you know, I can choose my attitudes. We don't choose our emotions. Right. You know, our emotions just come based on the circumstances we're in. But every day we choose our attitude. Mm. I choose either to think in terms of how can I enrich somebody's life, or I think in terms of, you know, myself and s totally focused on myself. Right. Well, you know, when, when that becomes selfishness and we live our lives with, you know, I've got to take care of myself. Well, yeah, you do have to take care of yourself, but part of taking care of yourself is choosing an attitude of love right. because people that are loving others are far less, you know, focused right. on themselves. Right. That's so good. So on the on the next question, I, I said earlier it was kind of a flip question, and your answer might be the exact same, and it's totally okay if it is. So on question four, we talked about how to love someone when you yourself are struggling with your own mental health. Um, so how do you love someone who 
maybe or your partner who is struggling with their mental health and you don't really know how to effectively I guess love them in that way would it would you say it would kind of be the similar answer well I think in that situation uh, the, it helps the person who is married to or relating to the person that has the mental health it helps them if they can recognize that a lot of the behavior of that person who has the mental health problem is not them mm. it's the disease mm. and if you can understand that you can give them a little grace mm. you know maybe they're not responding to you in the way you wish they would yeah. but you recognize that they've got a disease and this is they're struggling with this and that's that's what's coming out yeah. remember them the way they were before that mm. and the and the love that you felt coming from them before that's the real person yeah. amen and so you give it a little grace that that's a starting point i think right i think the other point is that person needs love emotional love as much as you need emotional love mm. they have they have a I mean, almost everybody agrees one of our deepest emotional needs as humans is the need to feel loved by the significant people in your life amen you know, I say to parents, for example, the question is not do you love your children. The question is do your children feel loved. Mm. And so uh, so if you recognize that, that this person who's struggling with mental illness needs to feel loved by me. I'm married to them or I've got a really close relationship with them and I want them to feel loved. So understanding their love language, the whole love language concept, yep. is going to help you know how to express love to them. Because they have a love language. They're struggling with mental issues, but they have a love language. And right. they, when you speak that love language, it's going to minister to them. They're right. going to feel loved. You're meeting one of their deepest emotional needs, and it will help their mental condition, whatever it right. is. So I think uh, if, if, if our listeners aren't familiar with the love languages and haven't read the book, I'd say if the person can read it and understand that, and then the two of them discuss it together, yeah. uh, that would be the the healthiest thing right so now we both know you know what we need from each other emotionally right and uh chances are we can certainly we can do it with god's help right. we can do it amen and uh, uh and if they're not familiar there is a quiz a free mm -hmm. quiz yeah. online it's called five love languages.com yeah and there's a free quiz there's one for married couples there's one for single adults there's one for teenagers in fact uh, my uh, publisher who handles that told me that uh, the couples uh a hundred million couples have taken that quiz. Oh my goodness. So, you know, it's just an easy way to right. find out your love language and then the spouse takes the quiz, you learn their love language, and now you've got information right. on how to most effectively meet their need for love. And that's so important. I think definitely if you have not read the book, take the quiz, but read the book because it goes into a much, a much deeper depth into what it is and how to love people with that. Um, one of the big things for me is respect and what I always say uh, for people who maybe struggle with respect, to get respect, you must respect the people that you're trying to get that respect from. I think it's very similar with love as well. Yeah. If you're struggling in, in mental health uh, in a relationship, um, which is completely okay, it's a byproduct of the sin that's in this world, um, but if you're struggling with that, I think learning each other's love languages, it creates that... Um, mutual love for each other because if you're say you're struggling with mental health and you see your wife for instance um, going out of her way to love you through your love language that's going to cause you to be kind of grateful and thankful and want to love her in that same way um, and so it's it's such a simple understanding of just if you can take the time to learn each other's love languages 
the, the deeper love that you can feel for each other. And I know it's not an emotion or a feeling per se, but an attitude. Yeah. Um, it can go, you know, a long, a long, long way, yeah. um, which is so powerful. Yeah, I like to say love starts with an attitude, mm. but it touches the emotions. Mm. And, uh, and But if we have an attitude and then we learn how to express love, we can be effective in meeting mm. that particular emotional. Amen. We all have emotional Amen. needs, right. and, that, and that's one of them. My grandpa, um, Joe Boone, uh, love him to death. He, him and his wife, Janice, got married years and years ago. Uh, but part of his testimony and story is he came to Christ through Dr. Quartz. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, during the early part of their marriage, they struggled. Uh, they were young. They struggled. Uh, and they actually did counseling through you. And he always talks about that the counseling that you did, you know, saved their marriage. But I was talking to him the other day. Me, uh, us three went out to lunch. And I was telling him that I was interviewing you soon. Um, and he said one quote that he talked about mental health that he said years ago was, uh, the key to good mental health is a conscious that is void of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of like to, at the end of the episode, do a biblical integration. So pa- unpack that statement a little bit of, uh, you know, the key to good mental health is a conscious that is void of sin. I think it's so, so true and, and powerful yeah. for those that hear that. You know, none of us are perfect. Mm. And all of us do and say things that uh, are against God's plans. And we all we suffer the consequences of that. Now that doesn't mean that all mental illness comes out of sin. Right, that doesn't right. mean that at all. Uh, but there's always negative consequences that grow out of our sin. Mm. And when we live a lifestyle of that, simply doing what we want to do, disregarding what God is the principles He's laid down, because every principle God laid down grew out of His love. If He says don't do it, it's because He loves you. Right. If He says do it, it's because He loves you and we just disregard those things, then we suffer the consequences of not following the principles that God laid down for us to have a, a good life. Right. And so I think our, all of us, when, excuse me. No, you're good, no worries. Okay, when we, uh, when we sin, we all have a conscience. Mm. Now the conscience can be, the Bible says, seared with a hot iron, and we know there are people that do horrible things and don't feel guilty. But, but by nature, we have a conscience, and we feel guilty about what we've done. Mm-hmm. And in any good relationship or good mental health, we deal with that sense of I failed in that. I was mm-hmm. wrong in doing that. And the way we deal with that is by apologizing and forg- and, and, uh, to the person and asking for forgiveness. Amen. And if they forgive us, we've taken away the barrier that was there. Yeah. If we don't for- if we don't apologize and they don't forgive there's a barrier between us and that relationship will not go forward Mm. so i think we're to forgive others the same way god forgives us Mm. and the bible says if we confess our sins god forgives us amen so on the human level if we confess our sins to each other we're likely to be forgiven if we act like what i did was okay you deserved it then we've got a barrier between us And this is where people build walls between them because they don't deal with their failures. Amen. So living with a clear conscience or sometimes what I call an empty conscience, mm-hmm. living with an empty conscience because we, we confess our failures uh, is, is a part of mental health. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think one of the, in my story early on was I did an episode a few weeks ago on the difference between guilt and shame. Um, and... I never truly understood the difference between guilt and shame until I started seeing what the Bible says about it. And then I just started doing research about 
you know, what it is. Um, and I think shame is one of those feelings of embarrassment, but it's also one of those feelings that's not necessarily from God. It's from the evil one. Um, and so guilt, guilt can almost lead it, guilt. Another word for that is, I guess, in the Christian life conviction um, that the Holy Spirit is, is putting in our lives. But conviction leads to repentance. And I think when you follow that, um, it is so true and it can lead to something so beautiful. And you, you know, you, you sin, you ask for forgiveness uh, and confess your sins to God. God is so quick and just to forgive you. Um, and God is not a God that remembers your, you know, forgives you, but remembers the sin you did. You know, he, he casts it out as far as the east is from the west. And that's something that's so different from humans because so many times we can say we've forgiven someone, but what they did is still in the back of our minds, um, yep. and which can sometimes lead to you know, bitterness and a hardness of heart, which builds walls. Yep. Um, so I think it's so, it's so important that when you go through that, um, you know, maybe it's f- forgiving someone that hurt you in a, in a big way, you know, asking God to change your heart, your posture of your heart, the attitude of your heart, um, to be able to forgive them. And forgiveness is a is a, a tough subject, and, it, and it's not easy, um, but it's important. Absolutely. You know, forgiveness is the choice to pardon the other person. Mm. I'm not going to make you pay for this the rest of your life. I'm mm. going to pardon you. And it also means to take away, to rem- as you mentioned earlier. Yes, sir. To take away the barrier. But forgiveness does not destroy the memory. You do remember it. And when you remember it, it can bring back the emotions. Mm. You can feel hurt again. You can feel anger again. And those are just human. But I think what we do, if we have forgiven them, because, again, forgiveness is a choice. Right. If we have forgiven them and we have the memory and we have the emotions again, we take it to God and we say, Lord, you know what I'm remembering and you know what I'm feeling today. But I thank you that I forgave that. Mm. Now help me to do something good today. Amen. And you don't allow the memory and the emotions to control your behavior. Mm. You don't deny them. Yes, I remember it. Yes, it hurts. But I'm not going to let my behavior be controlled by right. my memory and my emotions. Right. So I think it's it's so important because early on in my mental health journey, it was the lack of self-forgiveness for myself, which is what caused me the guilt. Um, and then ultimately the shame that was brought in by the evil one that just brought me to such a dark place. Yeah. Um, and I think the act of you know, forgiving others, but also learning to forgive yourself is, is so important because why do we do that? Because God forgave us. Yeah. God simply forgives us and he um, ha- has done it so willingly and so easily because he sees your heart. And it's so important to just, just remember that because in, in the day and age that we live, when you have, you know, social media out there, you have just the culture that is not necessarily a, a healthy culture, um, you know, partaking in all the things that they're partaking in now. It's easy to it's easy to make mistakes and get caught up in the worldly life that we can live in. Um, but obviously, as a Christian and as a believer, we're called to something bigger and we're called to something better, and that is Jesus Christ, the way that Christ lived. Yeah. Um, but it, it, so many different aspects of guilt, shame, self forgiveness, forgiveness is so important, yeah. not only to the Christian, but as you know, maybe the non Christian that's listening to this too. So. Yeah, I was uh, I was speaking in jail. Uh, I wasn't in jail, but I was speaking in jail. But this particular night, they had allowed the spouses to come in, and they wanted me to do something with the couples. And I talked about apology and forgiveness, mm. among other things. And in the Q&A, a man sitting beside of his wife, he said, Dr. Chapman, I've asked God to forgive me, and I know he has. 
and my wife has forgiven me, and my children have forgiven me, but my question is, how do I forgive myself? Oof. Because I've hurt so many people. Yeah, yeah. And I said, okay, here's what I suggest. First of all, understand this. If a holy God has forgiven you, mm. you have the capability of forgiving yourself. Amen. So, I'm going to suggest that you stand in front of a mirror, if you can find one, and talk to yourself. Mm. And just say, self, you blew it. You blew it big time. Mm. You hurt your wife. You hurt your kids. You hurt everybody that knew you. You, you hurt the heart of God. Yeah. But self, God has forgiven you. Mm. Your wife has forgiven you. Your kids have forgiven you. So self, today, I choose to forgive you. Mm. I said, cry if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But, you know, again, it's a choice to right. forgive ourselves. Right. We can hold it against us and, you know, let it pull us down right. or we can forgive ourselves yeah. and, and understanding that God has forgiven you lets you know if he can forgive me I can forgive me amen well um, Dr. Chapman if anybody hears this right now and says man I would love to purchase your book or any of the books that you have where is a good website that they can go do that or take the five love languages test or anything like that well they can go to that website fivelovelanguages.com and uh, click on resources, and they'll get little blurbs on all of my books, on all, right. all kind of topics. Right. And uh, they can buy them there, or they can also, once they locate them there, they can go on Amazon and mm. buy them on Amazon. They Great. have all my books. And, awesome. So, and Barnes & Noble normally has a whole shelf full of my books. That's so. great. That's great. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being willing to sit down with us today and just talk to us about a slew of different things. I, I'm so grateful and appreciative for your time. Well, thank you, Kobe. I've enjoyed being with you. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right, guys, this concludes our interview. Again, thank you so much for listening um, to season two of episode one. Uh, we have a lot more exciting things coming, but um, I pray that all of you have a great rest of the week. Uh, please don't forget to reach out to us if, if you need anything. Um, it's just Equipped Podcast on Instagram. That's E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D dot P-O-D-C-A-S-T. We love you. We hope you have a great week. Peace out.